We're the most ambitious generation with the most access to data at our fingertips, except what's, for most of us, one of the biggest decisions of our lives, you know, when and whether and how to have kids. From the Globe and Mail, this is I'll Go First. I'm Takara Small. Welcome to the show where we sit down with people who've seen a problem with the world and decided to fix it. Technology is changing the way we think and interact with our bodies. A device on your wrist can track your heart rate while you check your emails. Your phone knows how many steps you took today and where you took them. If you have fitness goals, you're not just looking in the mirror, you're looking at a screen. So health is a big business. According to PwC Canada, a record $177 million of venture capital was invested in digital health companies in 2018 alone. But there's still so much we don't know about our bodies. For people trying to get pregnant, or even just trying to learn about their own body, there can be so many unanswered questions. The average age that women give birth in Canada has been rising for the last 40 years. Currently, it's just under 31, and right now, it's actually not that easy to find out about your own fertility here. So we spoke to someone doing something about that. My name is Alyssa Atkins. I'm the founder and CEO of Lilia. Lilia makes it easier for women to get fertility information about their bodies and their options with an at-home fertility hormone test. Lilia is hacking fertility to empower women with the knowledge they need to take control of their bodies. When we recorded this, the company was just a few months old and already backed by a serious amount of venture capital. The global fertility service market is expected to reach $30 billion by 2023. But for Alyssa Atkins, this isn't just a business opportunity. It's pretty personal. Like all the people we speak to, she ran into a problem and instead of living with it, she decided to fix it. This episode of I'll Go First is brought to you by National Car Rental, where you can skip the canter and choose any car in the aisle. Keep listening to learn even more ways to stay in the driver's seat while you're traveling for business. Tell me a little bit what was behind the founding of it. Mm. Why did you decide to create this type of startup? It really didn't feel like a choice. It felt like something I was I was pulled into because I, it was in response to my own problem that I was experiencing. So all around the same time, my 10-year-long relationship came to an end. Someone in my family went through early menopause at 37, altering her mm. prospects at a, at a large family. My career started coming together, and all of a sudden, I started thinking about my fertility for the first time. And so when I went to seek information about this, I was mostly met with Huffington Post opinion articles online, and I learned that you could get information about your fertility through hormonal testing. Right. But to get this testing, I had to call my GP, make an appointment, go up to the fertility clinic to get a blood draw, go back for my results. And so I had had the idea of Lilia, you know, this the idea that this should be much easier to obtain, more convenient, more comfortable, and really rooted in science. I was scouring the internet for the scientific journals, right. and I thought this should this should just all be much easier. And then I talked myself out of the idea. Why? I was like, nobody's going to want this. It's just me. You know, the mark is too small. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. So one weekend, I was like, okay, I'm going to spin up a website as if it existed. I'll put a bit of money behind some Facebook ads. No one will want this, and I can move on with my life. And this was just a team of one. This is a team of one. You know, I I was at a Starbucks, I remember, one Saturday night doing this into the night. And I went to bed and, and said to my partner, like, 
you know, I put up a site, I put some Facebook ads, nobody's going to want this and I can just move on with my life. And what happened was overnight, I got all these orders, these people trying to buy Lilia. And I realized there's something here. It's not just me who wants this. And as I started looking into the market, (laughs) the market's not small at all. The market is anybody who might want kids one day or want to learn about their body in this way. Mm And it's the right timing and it's it's growing. And I realize I'm really the person to do it. Yeah. I'm building the company I wish existed for me today because as I started building Lilia upon these realizations, I also went through the traditional channels of getting this information, which was, like I said, an appointment at my GP, going to the fertility clinic, having to go back. And in order to get the information, I had to pretend with certainty I knew I wanted to freeze my eggs for anyone to take this proactive fertility testing seriously. Interesting. So you had to have a certain mindset and you had to be dedicated to the long road of fertility in order to access that I couldn't just say, hey, I want to learn about my body. Yeah. It was like, well, do you want to freeze your eggs? I learned a ton of information about myself that's really important, and I am freezing my eggs. You are. Yeah. And I'm really happy that I'm taking this step. I feel more confident in the career decisions I'm making and the life decisions and relationship decisions I'm making, but it was a cumbersome process. I also learned really important information that I have. It's called polycystic ovaries, which is a misnomer, but one in 10 women has PCO or PCOS, they call it. Tell me a little bit about yeah. this, though. So not only does PCOS affect fertility, but it affects all kinds of other health factors like weight and mood and uh, likelihood for some cancers. And yet it is surprisingly difficult to get the information required. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, because I've been on birth control since I was 16 and I have a hormonal IUD so I don't get a period, any symptoms I would have had are masked like a regular period. So this is maybe too much information. but No, I think it's interesting as well because not everyone has access to a GP, like, not to everyone, be honest. And a lot of people actually, they just don't have a GP. They just yes, go to the clinic. And exactly. so, you know, it took me, like I said, three months and three in-person appointments. Three months. Three months to get and just my had a doctor. Test. And I had a doctor. I literally started and funded the company in that time. Wow. And so this same information that you would get at a clinic, learning about your ovarian reserve, aka your egg count, menopause timing, and markers of PCOS is the same information that you can learn with Lilia. And so you started the company of one at the time, time. and now it's grown. How many people work for your company? We're a team of five now. So, um, yeah, including our medical lead, Dr. Prati Sharma. She's incredible. She's a Cornell and Columbia educated fertility specialist who's been practicing for over a decade. She's really meticulously designed the test and which hormones we test and for whom and built a really comprehensive support or report mm-hmm. that people get upon testing to understand their, their hormones. Yeah. So that was my next question, because I think when you have a medical startup and it includes a lot of information that the average person might not understand, you would want the startup to have the medical expertise Mm -hmm. on hand. So you do have that. I think with Theranos, that's definitely (laughs) become a topic of conversation. So you do have individuals with the experience. Oh, yes. I am leaving the science to the scientists on this one. Mm -hmm. So we work with a accredited lab as the highest accreditation in the country, IQMH. Uh, they validated the science behind what we're doing. We're not reinventing new science. It's the same blood test you would get at the fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. You're just able to collect your sample at home from a finger prick and send it in. And they validated the science behind what's called a venous draw and a capillary draw to ensure that the hormones read the same. Yeah. And so that's all, all validated again. I was hands off. <laughs> and I was like, you guys tell me if this is possible. Yeah. And the, the validation came out amazingly. 
So, and with your your company, you're an entrepreneur, but I feel like also you're an educator in some sorts mm. because you are educating women who maybe not don't have the information or don't have access to an expert who can explain these things to them. Yeah. Is that challenging? Well, you know what's crazy? We're the most ambitious generation with the most access to data at our fingertips, except what's for most of us, one of the biggest decisions of our lives, mm. you know, when and whether and how to have kids. And it was remarkable to me that I'd never thought about this information. I'd never heard about PCOS until I was diagnosed with it. And so educating people that, one, you can proactively get this information, two, that you're better off knowing it sooner, because the sooner you have this info, the more options you have, the more confident you can be and in your choices. you're empowered to make decisions you're about You're empowered to make life. decisions. I can't yeah. tell you... What a difference it's made for me in my life, knowing this information about my body, feeling more confident in the decisions that I'm making. I feel powerful. Mm -hmm. And I want this for other women. And that's why I said it, it, it behooved me to start Lilia. It was a, it was a pull mm -hmm. uh, because I want every other woman to have a much easier time getting this information about herself mm -hmm. than I have. Do you see a gap in the current healthcare system or a gap in the education system? Mm. Yes. So the way our system works right now is it's designed to be very reactive to infertility instead of proactive about fertility. So, you know, societally, a lot has changed. We're getting married later, if at all. There are more women chasing their careers. If you didn't see it, she fist bumped. <laughs> Amazing. I agree right? with that fist bump as well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so we're getting married later. Well, more women are chasing their careers, which is incredible. And so we're having kids later. Mm -hmm. But biologically, it still is the best time to have kids in your early 20s. And so what's happening is people wait until they start trying to have kids and wait to find out that something's wrong before they start going through this process. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot that you could know proactively. And so people ask, you know, when should I test with Lily or when should I try and get this information? And the answer is there's really not a bad time. Whether you're trying to conceive now or you're thinking about kids someday off in the future, yeah. the more you know about your body and the sooner you know it, the better off you are. So after people learned about Lilia, my inbox was flooded with stories from women sharing what their fertility journeys have been. A heartbreaking number shared that they wish they had had this information sooner because they didn't. They waited too long and they ended up not being able to have kids. I mean, and there's been, as you mentioned, there's been a great response and outpouring of support. Included in that support, though, is financial mm. investment. And it's, you know, very few women can raise the type of capital necessary to grow and scale. But you've managed to do that in three short months. You've actually turned away some investors. What was that like? Mm. So for the last four years, I was a VP marketing at CareGuide. I was a sixth employee, very first marketing hire. And CareGuide is a portfolio of care services. We own sites like CanadianNanny.ca, PetSitter.com, Sitter.com, helping people find home, child and pet care. And so I had seen firsthand how challenging it can be fundraising, or at least how long it takes and what the process looks like. And I'd heard from friends of mine about how difficult fundraising is. And so in preparation for this, I'd spent a couple months saving up all my pennies and making sure that I could float myself for a pretty long time. I changed my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. No more buying champagne. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was making my lunches begrudgingly. And what happened next was... I started just talking to a couple people about Lilia and the test I had run and... A couple of investors or... You know, they were, they were more friends or friends. people in my okay. network ab about the company. And at the end of each conversation, just having coffees, yeah. at the end of each conversation, people would ask, are you raising money? Can I invest? 
And so my res- that's like the dream. <laughs> <laughs> my my fundraising experience is really atypical, and so I want to preface that because I know they don't all go like this. And so in response to that, I was like, okay, I'll raise a small two hundred fifty k. It'll take me the whole summer, but it'll help us move a bit faster. And what happened was I ended up raising an oversubscribed 800K in five weeks. Wow. And, and we're still turning down uh, checks. And how do you, I guess, evaluate which investors you want to work with or which individuals? So of our angel investors, we have a 50-50 gender split. This was important not only from a business perspective. We're building a women's health company, but it was important to me personally. And... From the beginning, I I realized now that I had an incorrect notion of how difficult it would be to find female investors. And that ended up being incorrect. What I really needed to do was stop only responding to inbound requests. Interesting. And just reach out to women. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were very excited to invest. Some of them invested, you know, sight unseen. And so it really was a matter of just taking the steps to involve those folks. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your journey, though. So you yourself have frozen your eggs or you're in the process? I am about to. You're about to. And how was that experience? What was that experience like? Oh, gosh. It gives me all kinds of ideas for what Lilia's next steps will look like and how we can support women better down this journey because it was not pleasant. So I started with this testing. Again, it took me three months, three in-person visits. After the third visit, I had only tested for AMH, one hormone. And so I had to go back for another round of blood tests, which Lilia tests for in the first go. Even going through these the channels of talking to clinics and fertility specialists, I didn't feel really seen or heard as a human. I kind of felt more like I was just being pushed through as a number. And so I had to do all kinds of research on my own to decide whether this was the right decision for me. And ultimately, I've decided that it is for a few reasons. One, I am... I have a high AMH, which tells me I have a high egg count, which means I'm probably a good candidate for egg freezing, which means I'll be able to retrieve a large number of eggs because what people get wrong about egg freezing is they think it's a guaranteed insurance. And it's not. And it's not. When you freeze your eggs, you freeze a certain number. A certain number of those make it through the process. A certain number of those can be inseminated later in life, and a certain number of those make it through to a live birth. What we know about egg quality is that it's tightly correlated to age. And so the the younger you are, the higher quality the eggs are, and the more likely they are to survive. And so I'm really glad that I have this information now because I'm freezing them now at 29. I almost wish I'd frozen them last year or the year before because they just would have had higher odds. Higher odds. Right. So once I had made that decision, I felt a relief, like a peace of mind knowing that even though I know this is a 100% guarantee, I'm not going to have kids right now. And so this is the best decision I could make for myself to protect the future of my fertility. So let's talk through the process. I sign up for Lilia. I get a kit. Yes. Walk me through what happens next. Yeah. So you get your kit and you will collect a small blood sample from a finger prick. We put in a little piece of candy in the kit because, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, you're not programmed to want to poke yourself, but uh, we also will walk people through doing the kit together on Instagram Live, and we have a video. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, to make it kind of uh, a bit more communal. And so you ship your your blood to the lab. The lab processes it the same way they would at a fertility clinic. You get your results online, and then you can choose to schedule a call with a fertility nurse. 
And why did you decide that you have to schedule a call in order to get your results instead of just sharing it with the individual online? Oh, yeah, you can. You can have the results. Yeah. I thought adding the ability to chat with somebody is an important part of this because while the report is very comprehensive and we put a lot of work into explaining what the hormones do and do not do and what information you can draw from this, Mm -hmm. some people just want to chat through what do next steps look like. That was something I really wanted after I got my results. I was like, okay, this is what my fertility profile looks like. Here are options one, two, and three. You know, I could wait and test again next year. Mm-hmm. I could freeze my eggs now, which I've decided to do. I wished I had someone to, to really walk that through in a way that was much more convenient. I'm going to butt in here real quick and warn you that we're about to drop some massive Game of Thrones spoilers. So if you're one of the few people who haven't seen the final episode yet, you're going to want to skip ahead a couple minutes. So I'm going to switch tacks a little bit because we were talking a little bit about Game of Thrones. Yes. Is it fair to say we were both disappointed with the ending? I was disappointed. And so we were talking about the female characters. Yes. What did you like about the female characters and how did... I guess seeing them on screen impact you. Well, originally what I liked about the show is they offered such a a spectrum of female characters. It wasn't only the one, you know, the anti-heroine we usually get. And particularly, they were very ambitious women. They are. Right? That's very true. I loved seeing that. Yeah. And I was really disappointed by how they portrayed Khaleesi in the end. She was so intelligent and so calculated the entire time. And then they wanted the audience to believe that she wouldn't have seen John coming for her at the end. And she dies in her lover's arms because I she know. didn't see it coming. Come on. I know. Do better. Do better. Yeah. Speaking of Khaleesi, that leads me to your nickname because you have an alternative ego, kind of like Sasha Fierce to Beyonce. Tell me about it. Okay, so the woman I want to be is Alisi, I call her. And so it's a mix of Khaleesi and Alyssa. And so those days when I'm just feeling like I need a bit of an extra push and some more inspiration, I think of what would Alisi do? You know, she is super ambitious. She goes for it. She's confident. Uh, there are no saboteurs whispering in her ear. <laughs> There's <laughs> so, no Jon Snow around the there's corner. There's no Jon Snow around the corner. And so... Uh, so, yeah, Alisi is the woman that I want to be. A lot of the time in the entrepreneurial community, you talk about taking risks. Mm. But in order to take a risk, it also comes with some amount of privilege because mm. you have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. How did you navigate that? Was it challenging taking the risk mm. of launching your own business, mm. knowing? Yeah. Well, and I don't, wrong? you know, being a cisgender white woman, I have all kinds of privilege as well. So it's not as though I'm without it. It's funny, I heard, I forget who says this, but somebody says entrepreneurs aren't, they're risk averse, or they take very calculated risks. And so that's how I felt about this. I had validated it, you know, before I left my full-time job. I'd saved up enough to float myself for a while. All the signs pointed to yes, and it just made sense. And so I saw it as, yes, it was a risk, but at that point, this is going to sound cliche, but the riskier thing was almost to not do it, mm. because it it really just made so much sense. I do probably have a higher than average propensity for risk, but I don't think of myself as a risk taker necessarily or you know a thrill seeker in that way. I actually try and mitigate risk. And so if there's a, you know, there's a woman who's listening to this and she's thinking mm. about taking that leap, is there any advice you would offer her hmm. or him or him? What worked for me was 
gathering as much information I could while I felt safe, such that I could take the leap. And I knew even if the worst case scenario were to come to fruition, I would still be okay. And that's really hard for an overachiever to accept that, you know, this might not work out. And so I forget who it was, but this really stuck with me. She talks about risk-taking and she the way she thinks it through is what's the best case scenario and how can I increase the likelihood that that happens? What's the worst case scenario? How can I mitigate that risk? And that's what she just does every day. And so that's how I thought about Lilia. People say there is no right time. You know, you really just need to jump. There may be a right time for you. And if you're not ready, you know, you may just need to collect a little bit more information. But what I will say is you'll never have the amount of information you wish you had to make a decision. And that's what running a company is every day. You have 30% of the information you actually need to make a decision, and yet you have to make it. And so get used to that. Get comfortable with being Get comfortable with that. It's so mm-hmm. cliche, but it's so true. You have to be ready to sit in the uncertainty and wait for the feedback loop on your decisions because it, it's not immediate. And so inherently, there's a, a certain amount of risk taking. How do you maintain your wellness, mm. your mental health through what can be a very challenging time? Yeah. This is something I'm hyper conscious of because I think there was a time when, and it's probably still true today, but where we laud entrepreneurs who work 100 and 120 hour weeks and don't sleep and don't eat. And that's just so dangerous. And I know that it doesn't work for me. So I need to be really serious about ensuring that I'm you know, operating at times of day when I have the most amount of energy, getting enough sleep and managing my anxiety levels. Mm-hmm. And so things that are important to me are all the things you've heard about, you know, meditating, working out, eating healthy. And it's really easy when you're running a company not to do those things because you have an infinite number of things you could be doing and you always feel a pull to do those things. But the advice entrepreneurs have given to me, which I've taken quite seriously, is not everything is urgent. You're not going to be able to do all of the things. And this really is a marathon. And so if you burn out in your first few months, you're actually not doing the company a service. Mm -hmm. And so just this last weekend, you know, I went to Barrie, where my partner's family lives, and just went for a walk in the woods and unplugged for a full day. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because... Um, and I feel so guilty doing these things. So it really, it's, it's a, it's a tumultuous pull inside of me. But I, if I'm, you know, using my prefrontal cortex to assess what's the best, what's the best for the business, arrested Alyssa makes better decisions and has more energy. And if I want to give Lily the best shot, I can't burn out in the yeah. first six months. Look, tech moves fast. I mean, your phone went through four updates in the time it took to say that. Good thing National Car Rental moves at the speed of technology. They're on the cutting edge of control, pairing their industry-leading app to a fleet of the most recent cars featuring the latest advancements. Making all others feel as dated as the flip phone. Go National. Go like a pro. Subject to availability and other restrictions requires enrollment in the complimentary Emerald Club. So we're going to start a new section. Okay. It's one of my favorite. It's called Rapid Fire. Oh, boy. It's going to be exciting. So just answer as quickly as possible. 
I'm st- I'm so scared of what I'm gonna say. You can't skip a question. There's no passing, no skipping. Okay. Oh what motivates you? Achieving. Favorite TV show? The Office. <laughs> oh, the UK version or the US version? The US version. Tell me about your perfect day off. I go to the gym. I read underneath a tree. It's warm. I go for a long walk. I eat some seafood, some nice wine. Probably go to bed early. Oh, I sound so lame. No, you sound like an entrepreneur who puts herself first. It's important. Um, how many hours do you work a week, would you say? About 70. How many hours do you sleep a night? Eight. And everybody should get eight hours of sleep. You heard it here first. You want to be successful? Eight hours of sleep, people. Um, Takara. <laughs> exclusive right here. Greatest fear? Lilia failing. One word your friends would use to describe you? Excitable. Go-to song? RuPaul champion. Ooh. What do you do to de-stress? I walk in nature. Or just walk. Walking. Even in winter? <sighs> Surprisingly. Like, it's Canada. I know, but I bundle up. I, I'm, I'm learning this myself. What do I actually do to re- de-stress? And it appears, the data would tell us, that walking. You talk like such an entrepreneur. <laughs> I've analyzed the data. <laughs> no, I have a pathological obsession with analyzing my life. Really? It's sick. <laughs> yeah. Is it tiring? Like, no, I love it. It's energizing, but I track everything. I track how many drinks I have a week, how many hours no. I work. Oh, yeah. Meditation. I've tracked happiness levels. Like I've done it for about a year now, so I can see the trend lines and I can see the curves. And does it help you be more productive then? It helps me understand where I get energy and where I don't. And it helps me make decisions. I guess that's part of what has me so excited about Lilia too, is personally, I want data to inform decisions. Yeah. I do this everywhere else in my life. And so I want really big decisions to be based on I love how analytical you are. It's not even with your business, but with your personal life. I know. Oh, I want to apply that to my personal life, but I know it's not going to happen. I should share my templates with you. Yeah, you should. I just messed up the rapid fire because it's not that rapid. No, no, it's my fault. Okay, so. No, it's my fault. Favorite, you can't say Khaleesi, your favorite fictional character. (laughs) Alisi. Well done. Well done. Okay. Good. We're done with rapid fire. Cool. That was hard. Let's do the big three. Big three. Here we go with the big three. What's one piece of advice you would tell your younger self? Just one, I know. <laughs> like, girl. <laughs> Relax. You know, it's advice my mom gave me just the other day that I would repeat to my younger self, which is if you don't stop worrying and you don't start having more fun with what you're doing, you're going to miss out on what's the greatest adventure of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really good advice. Something yeah. I, I, I like try to tell myself. And I you don't you have put to, so much pressure on yourself. So much pressure to get it perfect and to get it right. And everybody's looking like nobody's looking at you. Yes. Just try it. <laughs> you know, it's OK yeah. if it's not perfect the first time. You'll yeah. learn and you'll do better the next time. Where do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. I see myself still running Lilia. By then, I hope we're a globally defining company and that we've helped millions of millions of people get information and make decisions about their fertility. And our team is happy and thriving and we are leveling up folks and they're building their careers. And Lily has made a real dent in, in the world. And I look good, too. And you look good. <laughs> <laughs> Snap fingers. Okay. And last but definitely not least, if you could do it all again and by mm. all i mean launching the company okay 
Is there one thing you do differently? So many things. <laughs> I mean, there are just little things that really do come from experience. I didn't expect how long it would take to get boxes. And so, right. you know, that will have delayed our launch by some time. I am probably like most CEOs and founders. I get to action quickly. And I think a couple steps ahead, but not 15. And so I think it'd be worthwhile exercising more stillness, you know, sitting and really thinking through what are the next 15 steps instead of just the next three. That must be hard, though, when you're growing and scaling. It's so hard. But my coach tells me, take that time every week to think at a 20,000 foot level because you're going to end up going faster. There's this... Um, saying that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And so it's like to go quickly, you need to go smoothly. And to go smoothly, you have to go slow. And by going slow, you ultimately go faster. And as a person who gets to action quickly and, and wants to move really quick, the times I've done it, it has benefited me to stop and think through what's next. If people want to find out more about you or they want to follow you, where can they do that? HelloLilia.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Alyssa Atkins. And your Instagram handle? My Instagram is super embarrassing. (laughs) But it's Ali Gaga Atkins. (laughs) I made this when I was younger, okay? I love it! That was Alyssa Atkins. Thanks to her for sharing her story. We're going to be back each week with a new episode from another person who is changing the way our world works. Next episode? A quantum computer is a new kind of computer, reinventing computing from scratch to achieve things that can't be achieved with traditional computers. We also want to hear your story. You can reach me online at Takara Small on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email the show at podcasts at globalmail.com. Algo First is a Vocal Fry Studios production. Our producer is Jay Coburn, with research by Cecilia Keating and additional writing by Vicky Mochama. Our executive producers are Kieran Rana and Katie Jensen. For more stories about entrepreneurship, make sure to visit theglobalmail.com and subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Takara Small, and this has been Algo First. See you next episode. <laughs>